Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. Today I'm going to give my opinions on some of the most asked questions by Bengal fans. Tom McLevy is going to stop in for another McLevy minute. We're going to analyze the linebacking core. And today's top five is going to be the coolest Bengals of all time. I'd like to thank our sponsor at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, providing some really, really memorable highlights of some very memorable Bengal moments set to modern music. Definitely something you guys got to check out. Let's get down to our first topic, which will be some of the questions that are being most asked by Bengal fans. I guess the first thing that most Bengal fans want to talk about are all the free agency moves that they've done in the last week or two. And I have to say that I'm very, very impressed. Mr. Brown has spent a lot of money, I believe somewhere between 130 and $150 million, and brought in eight players. That's a lot of guys. I believe five, six of them are scheduled to be starters and improvements on the starters that were there previously. Uh, I'm going to analyze all the players in full. I just got my PFF subscription, so look out. For next episode, we're going to really break down each one of these guys and, and go into the uh, pros and cons of all of them. As far as making a statement in the league, A. As far as achieving players that all seem to be fairly young and on the rise, A. Making a statement to Joe Burrow and the current players on the roster, hey, we're going to try to improve and, and make a sh- make a run at this now. Another A. Zach Taylor, I'm going to reshape the roster. Another A. When you think about the free agency moves with the eight new guys and the draft picks, you know, you're, you're looking at a 33% turnover on the roster. So that bodes well. I'm going to give them an A on what they've done so far. Would you want to trade the first pick for multiple picks? When Washington traded with the Saints and got all those picks, I think they were a 500 team for the next several years. My opinion on that topic is absolutely not. Grab the quarterback with the number one pick. Grab the franchise quarterback who had the storied year. I mean, you have to do that as an organization to save face. If, if They would be crucified if they didn't pick him. Win or lose. If you pick him and he fails, so be it. But I don't know if this kid's going to fail. Coach's son, success on every level, tough, smart, good thrower. There's a lot there. And what could you get for him in today's day and age? It's not going to be seven picks like in the old days. What if you get four picks for him? Let's see. Let's exaggerate. Let's say you get five picks for him. How many of those guys are actually going to become starters based on draft histories and draft percentages? You know, you're probably looking at maybe three of those guys are starters. Let's let's even be generous. Let's say four, you get four starters out of it. Let's say you get one pro bowler and three reliable starters for a half a decade. That's not worth a franchise quarterback. There's teams that would that would have, in Brady's prime, given six All-Pros for him. That's the most important piece in this game. That's that's the that's the king in chess, without a doubt. You, you don't you don't trade that pick. It's a fun thought. Restock a roster on a team that that had a bad record, but we do have a decent amount of talent. We have holes. Draft Burrow first. There's no question. It cannot be any other way. Okay, uh, the third question that a lot of Bengal fans have been asking, what do you do with Andy Dalton? Do you restructure his contract? On what capacity do you bring him back? Do you not bring him back? First, I want to start off by saying Andy Dalton is a class act and will always be a class act. He did a lot for this community. He's done a lot for the team. He put in some great seasons. There was the one year he was on pace for an MVP until he hurt his thumb. 
led us to a whole bunch of playoffs. Legitimately, he, he was a great quarterback. No one ever gave him respect in the league. That's a shame. Do you restructure his contract? Do you bring him back? Do you have him be a mentor to Burrow? Do you have an experienced backup in case Burrow's just not ready or something happens to him so your season's not totally lost? My opinion is, unfortunately, Andy, no. You got to let this kid forge his own way in the NFL and having the one-of-a-kind season and experience that he had in college, you got to let this kid just run his own path. You don't want to just have a veteran in there that has all the answers. I'm going to mentor you. I've seen it all before, kid. I think you let this this kid, because he's such a special talent, I think you just let him find his own way. You don't need a mentor for him. If he gets hurt or just really underperforms and is really overwhelmed and your only backup is Finley, then you roll with Finley. You get him a little more game experience. We're not going to count on it being a winning season at that point, if that happens. But then you, you finish with a bad record, you get another draft pick, another couple good draft picks, and then the next year, you're even stronger, and Burrow's a year wiser. So, unfortunately, I don't think it would be in the Bengals' best interest to bring back Andy at this point. So, if you guys have any differing opinions on what I said, obviously you can always reach out to me on the unofficial Bengals podcast at gmail.com. And we're going to move on to our next segment, which is called Roster Analysis. <laughs> roster Analysis. All right, this is called Roster Analysis. Where I'm going to run through a position group every episode and continue to do that all the way through the season because obviously things are going to change within each position group. Today, we're going to actually analyze the linebacking core. All right, let's start off with the, the current roster, guys. So we have Jermaine Pratt. Had a decent rookie year. He didn't come out of the gates blazing, but that's to be expected. He finished up pretty strong from from what I saw. I'd like to think that he's going to nail down one of the three linebacking positions this year. We don't have a lot of choices at this point because we really are very thin at this position. So um, then we brought in Josh Bynes. From what I've read, had a great end of the year with the Ravens last year, which should help us. You know, he's been a bit of a journeyman. Let's just pencil him in for one of the other spots. You know, with, with him and Pratt, um, we, we're not all pro level there at, at this point. But, you know, we could have guys that can give us a serviceable 12 to 16 games each. Let's cross our fingers and be optimists and hope for that. Uh, you have Jordan Evans also on the roster. At the time he came out, he was the fastest linebacker, although I don't think he was at the combine, but his time was faster than any linebacker, which we like to believe will eventually translate to good coverage skills in the NFL. I know that he, he played a little bit more heavily a couple years back and struggled a little bit, in all fairness. You know, let, let's get him in there on special teams. We're going to need depth at linebacker. He's still young. He's healthy. I think they need to get another free agent in here. I'm looking at the list. There's not that many guys left that are, that are going to make a difference. But let's see if they can at least grab someone who can be serviceable, maybe as a number four, number five, or get you a couple spot start games. Uh, Hardy Nickerson Jr., I, I don't know if he's still under contract. I haven't read anything on that. A good, hard-nosed, young goal-line linebacker. I wish they would have used him a little more in that package last year as opposed to Vigil. You know, I, maybe you bring him back just just on a, on a flyer. You could float him back and forth between the practice squad and the active roster. But the real intent is you, you need to draft a couple. I would say two linebackers within the first five rounds. I know we've typically gone for the that third round linebacker in the past and it just it never seems like that guy's a difference maker so I'm, I'm almost feeling like you got to chase the linebacker with the two 
and then maybe hit offensive tackle or if there's some magical wide receiver with the three. But we'll talk about the draft a little bit more later. So, yeah, you're going to need to grab two linebackers early on in this draft. And then you're going to need to sign a couple of college free agents, literally two to three, and let it all sort out. And then just start over. You know, you'll have Bynes as a, a veteran, Pratt, hopefully emerging as a leader. And then you're going to have a core of young guys. Maybe one of them can be a, a superstar player or at least get get you another guy that can give you a serviceable 16 games. I mean, literally, that's what we're hoping for with the linebacking core this year is just three guys that are going to give us a serviceable 16 games and not kill us. And I know they're going to rotate, on at least on paper and on rumors, they're going to rotate Sean Williams into that small linebacker position. You don't necessarily have to have three linebackers on the field every play, but, you know, the NFL's been doing it that way for a long, long time. To just totally rewrite that because your roster is a little deficient at that position, I don't know if that's the answer. I think you really got to try to just get three guys that can give you some solid snaps. So as far as um, past linebackers, that position has really hurt us over the years. I always felt that our secondary was, was solid. We've always been good at corner. And if you look at the last few seasons when we lost a lot of games, they weren't lost at the corner position. They weren't really lost on the defensive line, although there were some sack-starved times. They were lost on that middle level with tight ends just lighting us up or slot receivers just lighting us up or running backs running for too many yards. It's It's been a, a position that has been sore for a long time. It was solid when we had Burfick back in the day. In my opinion, best Bengal linebacker of all time. But, I mean, it started with Carlos Dansby. We had Dansby for a couple years back there, and he... You, if you ask my girlfriend how many times I stormed around the apartment saying F and Dansby, F and Dansby, F and Dansby, it was a lot those two years. We had Minter come in. He was a disaster when he was here for the one year. Preston Brown, God, his career started off great. First game, interception really early on. I was like, oh boy, we got one here. And literally, it was like a downhill icy ski slope at that point for his career right from there. I was very happy with Mr. Tobin and, and Coach Taylor for getting rid of him last year in midseason because he was just awful. And Nick Vigil, I guess his biggest claim to fame is going to be as the extra on other players' highlight reels. All right, so that'll do it for the linebacking core this week. We're going to move on to our next segment, which is actually my favorite segment. It's called the McLevy Minute. McLevy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLevy. How's everything going, Tom? Well, Frank, we're hanging in here as best we can. You know, it's a it's a tough time we live in right now, but got to do the best you can. Hopefully, uh, doing this podcast will uh, inspire other people to tune in and uh, take their mind off of the situation I am. Very well put, Tom. First question that's on a lot of Bengals fans' mind is, what do you do with the first pick? You got to listen first. You have to just listen to what is going to be thrown at you. You you can't pass on Burrow. The guy had a historic season in college. He's an Ohio kid. Bring it back to the Big Daddy Wilkinson days. Ohio State player. Bill Parcells loved him and was going to offer a ton of pick. Every draft Nick said this guy's going to be good. And everybody was wrong. He just didn't have the, the heart to, to work hard. This kid is the total opposite. He's smart. He works hard. And being an Ohio kid, Mike Brown can't turn his head at that. And he won't. Because Mike Brown loves quarterbacks. 
seeing that Mike Brown sat in the meeting in Indianapolis. Mike Brown wanted Joe Burrow to ask him questions. It shows you what's in Mike Brown's head to saying, we want you. I want to show you that we're going to build around you. Very interesting, but I don't think he's going to pass on Burrow. What do you do with Andy Dalton? I'm sure the league is just waiting for him to be released so they don't have to pay any of his contract. I am sure if he was released now, New England would take him just to take him. No team is going to want him on his contract right now. Was it $19 million? Supposedly Jacksonville's interested. Either pay a large portion of it and just get rid of him now. What do you think that portion would be? sure it's a hefty portion but it's not it wouldn't be the whole amount if they cut him but also you know we're not in the rooms we don't know what they're talking about so maybe maybe they hold on to him till after the draft and then make sure that burrows is okay will they have andy dalton and joe burrow in the same training camp together no no my training camp if everything's a go he Andy Dalton cannot be on this team because all you need is a few interceptions by Burrow and then the Boo Birds come out. Anything else on your mind for this week, Tom? Anything you want to share with the Bengal fans out there? I would just love to give an ode to Bob Castellini, the Reds manager, because I firmly believe if he did not spend $165 million this offseason, Mike Brown would not have spent the money he spent so far. I truly believe that. Wow, powerful take. It just showed that the Reds took the lead on this in the city by taking a step forward. And I feel that if he didn't do that, Mike Brown would have said, okay, we'll just maybe take a a couple day two guys or, you know, the normal MO of Mike Brown. So I just want to give a a thanks to... uh, Bob Castellini for what he did to put a winner for the Reds and it got a spark under Mike Brown's butt. Wow. Excellent takes as always, Tom. Frank, great to be on with you and um, hopefully this thing takes off and we can get get our voices heard. All right, my man. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. Today's top five. All right. Welcome to today's top five. Today's top five is going to be an ongoing segment where we have just some fun lists about various things in Bengals history, Bengals players, Bengals games, just all things Bengals. But the goal here is to try to make it a fun list, try to give you guys something to think about, maybe inspiration to make up your own lists. For today's top five, I'm going to review my top five coolest Bengals. At number five, I'm going to go with A.J. Green. How much cooler can you get? Doesn't say anything. Just goes out there and puts up Hall of Fame numbers and plays. Silent leader. Just real chill guy. Kicked the crap out of Jalen Ramsey when he got punked. All right, number four on the list. Adam Pacman Jones. I stood next to him at a training camp and I was like, wow, this dude is just the coolest dude in the room. You could just feel it in his presence. He just has a way about him. He's got a cool lingo. He has that it factor if you ever were to meet him in person. And plus, what a hell of a player. What a hell of a player and an underrated player. He locked down that corner position for a long time and was deadly on punt returns. Tough as nails, a good leader, and a really cool guy. 
All right, number three on my coolest Bengal list of all time is Lamar Parrish. Come on. He was Deion Sanders before Deion Sanders. Interception returns, punt returns. Again, I was young, but my image of him is seeing him in a, in a really cool purple outfit, strutting around, going to clubs. Number two on the list, Corey Dillon. That's a bad dude. He carried this team on his back when there was nothing to celebrate. There was no one playing well. For a few years, it was Corey. Obviously, the, the two record-breaking games were were really, really emotional games for the Bengal fan to be watching at that time when they were really struggling. He was coming off the field. I don't know. Some Somebody was trash-talking him, and he was like, if you think I'm supposed to be scared, you got the wrong homeboy. Go to the mirror and say that to yourself. You'll realize what cool is. All right, number one coolest Bengal of all time, Boomer Esiason. Generationally, years and years and years and years, as a young man, as a middle-aged man, as an older man, whatever you want to call him now, smooth, cocky, but still cool cocky, an alpha male amongst a room full of the toughest men in the world, and then an alpha male in front of the most charismatic broadcasters of the world. You know, he's just, any situation you put him in, he's just the guy. If that's not cool, I don't know what is. So he's going to round out our top five as being the coolest Bengal of all time. Blast from the past. It's story time. Today I'm going to go over a game from December 12th, 1976. There was a young Frank LaPlaca your host, who had just decided that his favorite team was going to be the Cincinnati Bengals. He liked the colors. He had a beagle, which sounded like Bengal, so it was just in the cards. He actually had a couple football cards, a Ken Anderson football card, a Booby Clark football card, and decided that the Bengals were going to be his team. The upstairs neighbor, a gentleman from Buffalo named Joe Black, had tickets for the Bengals against the Jets at Shea Stadium. Again, I'm a New Jersey guy, so that was a, a Bengal game that I could actually go to. So on that fateful December day, I took off with Joe Black and his girlfriend and froze our rear ends off at Shea Stadium. The historical fact about that was that was Joe Namath's last game in a Jet uniform, which is pretty substantial for that organization. What had happened in that game was the Bengals won 42-3. to my recollections, and I'm not looking at the stats in front of me of the game, but my re- recollection was Isaac Curtis catching an 85-yard touchdown pass over the shoulder, right down the sideline. It was like a really cool moment to see that as a young kid. Archie Griffin was a bell cow that day. Booby Clark scored. Defense shut them down big time. Got to see Coy Bacon get a safety. It was one of my early memories of football. It was It was incredible to have just proclaimed myself that this is my team back in 1976 going to a game a month or two after that, and then just seeing them wreck the Jets, which was my mother's favorite team. That's our blast from the past. If any of you guys have any kind of personal connection to that game, I definitely would love to hear about it. If not, look it up. It was a pretty good game in our history. We were a good team that year, and we kicked the crap out of them. All right, we're going to move on to our next segment. Listener's Forum. Okay, welcome to Listener's Forum. This is where you guys get to decide what we talk about on this podcast. Uh, Today I'm going to answer a question and a comment, and this is regarding the release of Dre Kirkpatrick. So obviously we know when 
we picked up those three corners in free agency that his days were numbered, especially at the number that he was scheduled to get. I believe it was like $11 million or so. I think he was a great player for us. I think he locked down that side for several playoff teams. And yeah, there's there's footage, you know, obviously the Le'Veon Bell stiff arm, but it, hey, he rolled over, got right back up. It's That's also pretty cool in itself. But he was a Bengal. He hated the Steelers. I was at training camp with my son a few years back, and he was coming up the ramp, and he gave some kid his, his spike. He just, I don't know, he just had taken him off. He was walking around without the spikes on. He was signing autographs, and then he just handed the spike to some kid. I, I just thought it was a really cool thing. And you could tell when a guy is, is cool and when he's not cool. I, I don't know. As a person, I, I really respect him. And I, I thought he gave us a lot of good years. Remember, we drafted him in 2012. And what we got about seven starting seasons, you know, six and a half starting seasons out of him. But uh, at the price, you just can't bring him back for $11 million. I almost, for one moment, wanted them to say, maybe take a pay cut and come back. But I guess, you know, they're reaching the end with him. He's coming off an injury. He is getting up there. We're going to say goodbye, Dre, but thank you, man. You are a Bengal, and I was proud to have you on this team. Very good player, and you won't be forgotten, my friend. All right, so for listeners forums in the future if you guys have any questions comments anything you want to talk about anything you want me to talk about just send them to the unofficial bengals podcast at gmail.com thank you for listening to the unofficial bengals podcast in the next episode we're going to discuss the free agents in detail the subtractions the additions everything about these guys we're going to analyze the offensive line tom mclevy going to stop in for another mclevy minute and the top five will be the five toughest Bengals of all time. So get your lists ready. I want to again thank our sponsor, at Bengals Highlights on Instagram. And remember to support all your other pages like Zim Day and BengalsTalk.com. All those guys are spreading the word about the team. It's a good thing for all of us. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.